morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. I want to dispense with our usual introduction to make a brief comment about events that have shaken the Jewish world this past week. As many of you listeners know, uh, last Saturday, uh, there was an uh, invasion of southern Israel by members of Hamas, a uh, terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of uh, the state of Israel. And as some of their documents indicate, the destruction of the Jewish people. This was the largest uh, single day of execution and murder of Jews since the events of the Second World War. All of us grieve for the loss of innocent life, and added to our grieving is the loss of innocent life in Gaza as the state of Israel responds. I want to uh, suggest that if you are interested in following um, the events in the Middle East and um, learning of these events from a different perspective, you might want to look online at the Times of Israel newspaper, which is in English and which will give you a comprehensive uh, introduction and comprehensive coverage of the events, including the events that are related to the follow-up uh, in uh, Gaza. Um, and there are many other uh, websites that one could suggest, uh, but that would be a comprehensive look at the ongoing events. Now returning to what we usually speak about on Jewish faith and Jewish facts, and that is the Torah portion, the weekly section of the sacred texts that are read in synagogues throughout the world. This Shabbat, the Torah portion that will be read is known as Breshit, the first Torah portion in the five books of Moses. Let me offer a brief synopsis before we turn to our guest. In this book are many stories that all of you are familiar with. God creates the world in six days, and we are told that on each day, God creates a different dynamic. On the first day, God makes darkness and light. On the second day, he forms the heavens dividing the upper waters from the lower waters. On the third day, he sets the boundaries of the land and sea and calls forth trees and greenery from the earth. On the fourth day, he fixes the position of the sun, moon, and stars as timekeepers and illuminators of the earth. Fish, birds, and reptiles are created on the fifth day, land animals, and then human being on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God ceases work and sanctifies it as a day of rest. The story then continues as God forms the human body from the dust of the earth, and the text tells us that he blows into the nostrils a living soul. Originally, the human is a single person, but deciding that it is not good that man be alone, God takes a side from the man and forms it into a woman and marries them to each other. These two first individuals named Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden and commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The serpent intervenes and convinces Eve 
that it is okay to violate this command, and she shares the forbidden fruit with her husband. Because of this dual sin is decreed that they will experience death and not live forever and return to the soil from which they were formed and all will gain through struggle and hardship. And the individuals are banished from the Garden of Eden. Eve gives birth to two sons, Cain and Abel, and we read the story of Cain quarreling with his brother and murdering him. And then Cain becomes a rootless wanderer. And so the story ends in the first book of uh, the Torah, the first portion, and um, we are left with many questions um, and to help us answer the questions this morning is a friend of our show, Rabbi Norman Cohn, who is the founding rabbi and rabbi emeritus of Bet Shalom Congregation in Minnewaka, Minnesota. And during his time as senior rabbi, Bet Shalom grew from 300 charter families in 1981 to over 800 family units in 2015, when the rabbi became Rabbi Emeritus. He has a rather lengthy CV because he is uh, one of the shining exemplars of congregational rabbis of our generation, having served as chaplain to police forces, having written books having worked in partnership with the non-Jewish community in Minneapolis and elsewhere. Um, he has written the book Jewish Biblical Personages in the New Testament, and he also wrote a book dedicated to the congregation entitled Sacred Architecture, the Building of Beth Shalom. I want to welcome him back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Norman Cohn. Well, thank you, Rabbi Garten. That was a very kind and generous introduction. <laughs> and in return, I'd just like to say, you know, I love how you summarize the Torah portions. Yeah, you, you'd make a great rabbi. And I, I know that you're... Well, thanks. Maybe I'll give it a try in my next life. Well, and besides that, I think you're just a wonderful host on a radio program that's broadcast not merely to the Jewish world, but to the non-Jewish world throughout Canada. and. Um, and I think it's a great place to start our examination of Genesis because it's a universal story. It's not about Jews, it's about human beings. As we see so many of the texts that we talk about on these shows that you've invited me to be on are, they're intended for the entire world. And uh, you started talking about the Middle East crisis and you said this is uh, something that's shaken the Jewish world. And, and you and I would agree, it's shaken the entire world. We've seen... Absolutely. We've seen barbarism, the opposite of what God intends, as we see in the creation story, placing us in the Garden of Eden, a place where people do get along. And, um, and we, we have to leave the garden because we prove that we can't. But the story is about how do we treat one another. And I think uh, ever since then, we're still trying to get it right. Um, well, that's a nice segue because the story of Genesis, um, which I'm going to ask you to chat about, is a story of uh, human perfection, which uh, unfortunately is interrupted by the reality of human uh, behavior. Um, so let's begin 
uh, for our listeners with you sharing with them how you understand these biblical stories, especially uh, Genesis, which is a uh, primordial story. It predates the specifics of the Jewish people and is not the story of the origins of uh, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, but rather it is a story of the creation of humanity. So share with us how you understand the stories. Well, I find reading all kinds of text, whether it be the text of uh, what many people call the Old Testament, the Jewish biblical text, or the New Testament, I find them to be revealing in so many ways. I don't think the authors ever meant for us to take them literally. I think that the authors, like the authors of great literature everywhere, have put many, many layers of meaning in there. And, and they tip us off to that in the opening two chapters, because there we have two different versions of a creation story. And we're not to choose which one's factually true and which one isn't, but to see what their, you know, their choice is and why they were chosen to be put in there. And, and when I look to like New Testament, which maybe we'll talk about at the end of this, this uh, session, um, you have four different gospel accounts. And um, there were many of those, just as there were many creation stories. And the authors of our text, the redactors, those who bequeathed our legacy to us, chose these stories for a particular purpose. I think that the story of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is right away to say there's no one way of looking at things and interpreting them. Here are two make sense of them. And I think that the message there is that we're God's partners. God creates this beautiful Garden of Eden, places us in it, but gives us a responsibility and gives us commandments. It tells us not to do this, and we go ahead and do it. And right there, we see how difficult it is to follow commands, but how necessary it is to um, to preserve what God intends for us. So um, you you've raised so many wonderful questions, but for the clarity of our listeners, you raise the point that there are two um, stories in uh, Genesis one and then in Genesis two about how humanity was created. Perhaps you could simply explicate for our listeners who may not be aware of the differences um, how these two stories differ. Well, I think in the ch if and all the um, listeners have to do is go open up a Bible and read chapter one, think about it, then read chapter two and realize there's two different perspectives. The first chapter, everything is created leading up to the creation of the human being at the end of the week. Uh, in the second chapter. It begins with uh, the human beings right there, already on stage. And it's sort of like the difference in the media. I mean, we have movies. We have um, plays. In a movie, the first thing you have on the screen is the star. In fact, often stars, when they negotiate their contracts, and that's going on in Hollywood right now, insist that their name appears before even the title of the movie. And that's part of their negotiating. And in, in, in the biblical, second biblical story, that's what we have. We have human beings right there. But in the first chapter, it's like a play. And those of us, we've all been to plays. We sit there in the audience. The stage is set. The curtain is open. Different characters appear. And finally, when the star walks on, there's a big applause. And that's sort of like chapter two. Um, it, there's a suspense that leads up to the appearance of the big star. 
So you have those two different versions in chapter one and chapter two of Genesis. It is one and, more. and the two versions highlight um, two different perspectives of how um, humanity is divided into men and women. In the first story, as you indicated, um, it's almost hermaphroditic. Um, Adam and Eve, or man and women, are created from a singular entity. And then, um, with very little explanation, um, split uh, from that singular entity. And in the second story, um, of which we probably don't have enough time to go into this in particular, but Adam is created first. And then we are told, as I suggested in the introduction, that God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so from the side, some have interpreted it as from a rib, um, Isha, a woman is created, a very different perspective. And as you've indicated, um, the stories are not meant to be taken literally, because what would we do with two very uh, disparate uh, accounts of creation, but they're understood to be complementary and to reflect the redactors, the authors' different views on uh, how humanity arose. Um, you also indicated that you thought this was a story about the partnership between humanity and the divine as seen through the eyes of the text. Perhaps you could uh, expand on that for a bit. Well, first of all, I have to say that listening to you talk takes me back to the days we sat in Rabbi Hanan Brito's <laughs> class, learning about this from one of the master teachers of our age. And, and uh, it's so nice to see that we're both continuing his legacy by teaching some of the wonderful insights that he shared with us 50 years ago. So it's nice to hear that. And you're right. I mean, the... The, the story in creation is our version of the androgynous story that you have in Greek literature. And um, it just shows that wherever we have lived, different civilizations influence those who are part of it. And, and we influence that civilization. This is the interconnection of humanity. And that's what God intended. We need to live together and find a way to do that. So we're partners with God, and it's illustrated by that wonderful story where God brings the different animals to Adam to name the animals. God creates the animals. God gives us the raw materials, as it were. But we have a role to play. We actually get to name these animals. And in doing so, it shows that God needs us as we need God. It's, it's just one example in there. But um, yeah, I like I like the story of that's take that took place in... In religious school once, uh, I walked into a classroom and the kids were working on a project and uh, the teacher said to the, to, the, to the class, you know, who made you? Who, who created you? And a little girl raises her hand and says, um, well, God made part of me. And he said, what do you mean God made part of me? She says, well, God made part of me, but I grew the rest myself. And I think this is a theological lesson we have in this story too, that you know, God creates the Garden of Eden, creates the world, but then gives us the responsibility to tend the garden, to take care, to to um, to do certain things, and and that's how life is today too. Um, you know, we have this um, 
this argument about which story is correct. We also have the age-old argument with creation story, and I know all of your audience has heard this before. Um, how can you believe in the creation story when we know that there's evolution? And and that's not a problem because they're answering different questions. Evolution is trying to tell us how did the world come into being? The creation story, as we find in the Bible, is saying, why did the world come, become, uh, come into being? And that's, of course, an important distinction for our listeners to make, that even though there are people, both um, Jewish and Christian, and perhaps other traditions, that read the text literally and do see the text um, as an um, explanation of the how, for most of Jewish history, the creation story and has been about the why. Right. And even for those members of the Jewish community who believe that the text is the literal word of God, the commentators search for much greater meaning within the text, the meaning of the why. So why is it that if this is a literal story, uh, Adam and Eve have the choice to disobey God? Why is it that um, Adam and Eve are given the opportunity to create a perfect world and of their own free will, even though the snake is uh, presented as the um, temptress, um, they choose not to follow the path to perfection. Well, if God created the perfect human beings, um, our uh, commentators are uh, very comfortable suggesting that in this partnership with God, uh, human beings had free choice. Yes. Rabbi, free will is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And to avoid that and to deny that is something we tend to do. When there's a disaster, we say, why did God let this happen? Well, that lets people off the hook. You know, we need to take responsibility for our part in, in repairing the world. It's not to sit back and wait for God to do that. You know, all these creation stories have different goals behind them. You know, some of the creation stories of the Middle East in those days were that um, God created the world for God's entertainment. And you know, the humans are a plaything or, or a toy. And then when God tires of that toy, he throws it away and starts over. But in the Jewish tradition here and in the universal tradition, that is really part of the Christian heritage as well as the creation story is as much a part of uh, Christian texts as it is of Jewish texts. Um, the purpose here is to have people be the crown of creation, not, uh, not this entertainment and, and, um, and then the moral continues next week in the story of Noah. You know, Noah isn't just saved on a whim. Noah is saved because he's a righteous person. There's a reason to be good. <clears throat> Your goodness can save the world from its destruction. And, and of course, that follows immediately, though we're not going to talk much about Noah, upon um, the behavior of Cain and Abel. Right. Like their mother and father who were given a commandment um, and who chose to disobey it. 
Cain and Abel, even without a commandment of thou shalt not murder, are held accountable as human beings for violating the moral imperative that seems to be very much a part of the uh, Genesis um, epic. And that moral imperative um, is uh, expressed when God uh, blesses the seventh day and when God um, says to uh, humanity that they are responsible for the care and preservation and future not only of the land, but of the animals on the land. Um, this is a story of great morality, um, which differentiates it from um, some, as you suggested, other creation epics in the Middle East and in other cultures. Now, earlier in our show, you um, alluded to the fact that we have two stories in Genesis of the creation of the world, and that there was some similarity um, in that um, multitude of story to the four Gospels that we accept as the synoptic Gospels. And given our audience, I thought we might spend a, a bit more time on your thoughts about that. Um, yeah, thank you, Rabbi. Um, Yes, I think that um, we realize that there are many creation stories, and it gives us a picture of how our literature, how our legacy, how our tradition is handed down to us. We're fortunate that we had ancestors that also had free will. They made some choices about what lessons they wanted to bequeath to the next generation. Those of us who are parents and grandparents, we know this responsibly. What are we going to pass on to the next generation? And so these are the two stories of the many, the multitude of stories that they chose to be part of our sacred scriptures. Um, in a parallel way, the early church had a choice of many different gospels, and they wanted to capture the gospels that gave the messages that were most important to them to future generations. And so these three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, along with um, the gospel John, which is a little very different in terms of its time span than the others, but it contains precious lessons as well. And um, one of the things that's been a hobby of mine, actually more than a hobby since I retired, is um, uh, along with another colleague, uh, we've been studying um, Koine Greek, and we've been reading the New Testament in Greek. And to do that in the original, just as you and I have been able to read the Hebrew text in Hebrew, it opens up all kinds of insights that we miss in translation. Um, and um, these Gospels contain different perspectives on the life of Jesus, but they're all precious teachings of the church. And when we study them together, we can see why Mark has what he has and why Luke and Matthew differ and, and how John comes at it from a later perspective because John was probably written um, decades after the others. And this tells us so much about our ancestors. It tells us about what was important to them. And we, as their descendants, have the free will um, to make choices. We don't have the free will to ignore the literature that they left us. But we may come to different conclusions because of that. And it also indicates how humanity uh, grows in its understanding of divinity. 
The stories in the book of Genesis, as we'll discuss in future weeks, is an exploration of God's presence in the world. The stories in the Gospels, as they evolve, are also an exploration of what does it mean to have God's presence in the world manifest in a human, which is very different than the biblical Old Testament approach. Right. And so um, if one accepts that premise, then one has to accept that while the divine may not change, our capacity to understand the divine presence and our capacity to integrate our understanding of the divine presence changes throughout the generations without impacting on what the divine might really be. Uh, that's a very important lesson that Genesis oh. gives to us. I think, Rabbi, you hit the nail on the head with that last comment. I think that's that's a perfect description of of the purpose of biblical uh, biblical text. Um, but I think, and you're right, every one of us sees the text differently because each of us, even though we're created, each of us in the divine image, we're unique. And this reminds me of one quick story. Uh, our colleague and friend, Rabbi Larry Kusher, has written many books. And in one of his books, God was in this place and I did not know. It begins with a little story of him talking to his religious school students at the end of the day. And he was showing them the around the sanctuary, describing this part of the sanctuary and the eternal light. And then he ran out of time and he says, you know, we got to stop, Rabbi, because the kids have to go home, but you can continue next week. And the rabbi says, okay, so I, what I want you all to think about is in this ark that I'll open up next week, I want you to think about what's inside that ark. And just then the kids had to leave. And the teacher came to the rabbi later and said, you know, I heard the kids talking. One of the kids, who was all obviously a product of contemporary culture, said, um, oh, I know, behind the curtain in the ark is a brand new car, like one of the game shows. <laughs> and another kid said, no, no. And this kid was a budding nihilist, said, no, when he rabbi opens the ark, there should be nothing in there. And then, you know, finally, one kid said, and the teacher said, this was the best. She said, no, when the rabbi opens up the ark, you're going to see behind the curtain is a great big mirror. And I love that story because when we read the stories, whether it be the creation stories or the gospels, we're looking at a great big mirror because the Torah and these sacred texts mean different things to us based on our own life experiences, our relationships with others. I had uh, not remembered that story from the text. It's a story that we can all resonate to. For those of our listeners who are not um, familiar with synagogue architecture, I should mention that the Aron HaKodesh, the ark that Rabbi Krishner was referring to, is the ark in which the scrolls are kept. And uh, in modern day synagogues, it is usually placed on the eastern wall of the synagogue in order to um, allow the worshipers to face toward Jerusalem. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Norman Cohn, uh, one of the great uh, congregational rabbis of our generation. I want to thank him for his insight, not only to the book of Genesis, but to the entire nature of what sacred text is 
In future episodes, we're going to be discussing each of the familiar stories of the Torah. Next week, the story of Noah, and then eventually speak about the origins of the Jewish people. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can listen to a podcast of our discussion this morning on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, or on the website of chri.ca. And I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in and listening to us. I wish you a good day and shalom. Shalom.